culturally we can be not great about the variety of food that we eat and i count myself in that when i'm busy you know it's harder to to cook everything that i want to cook but some of these more challenging elements on the plate every single day over time it becomes less of a big deal to you it becomes less of a big deal to them and eventually you'll look back and think whoa our diet has really changed Welcome to the Lessons Outside the Classroom podcast. I'm your host, John Anno, and this is the place where I interview experts and professionals about a range of topics relating to the development and growth of children. You'll also get practical tips and advice you can implement. If you have any specific topics you'd like covered, please email on lessonsoutside at gmail.com. I'm really pleased to have Emily Leary on the on the show today. Emily's an author and food blogger, and she's written the book "How to Get Your Kids to Eat Anything." Um, welcome, Emily. Thank you for uh, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I guess this discussion is particularly relevant um, at the moment, given that we're in a period of, of lockdown, um, and given the fact that um, the kids are at home. On a personal level, I'm finding myself obviously cooking a lot more, um, yeah. and that and that challenge of getting kids to eat a variety of food and obviously healthy stuff. Um, can I ask a question? Why do you think children generally are more fussy? Yeah, I think it's super common, and actually, I didn't want the words kind of fussy eater on the cover or anywhere in the title, and that's why it's called "Get Your Kids to Eat Anything" because we wanted it to be really positive and something that kind of all parents could get excited about. So I think particularly um, in kind of westernised society where there's a lot of beige and orangey foods and, and often not much else going on in the plate, um, kids do have quite narrow diets and often families as a whole have quite narrow diets. And even if there are kind of veggie-packed meals that, that they're used to cooking, there's probably four or five that are on constant rotation. And then, um, you know, that gets narrower and narrower because kids get bored so one of the reasons I think that kids narrow what they're eating you know because when you start weaning a child quite often you know you give them uh, carrot puree down the hatch no problems and then you, you know you give them something like swede or you know parsnip and they're eating it all up and you think oh I'm an amazing parent this is going really well <laughs> and then somewhere along the line suddenly they don't like cucumber and then they don't like broccoli and they don't like this and that um, and there are a few things going on so one um, is they have a fear of new things. So um, a lot of kids have um, just a really natural, it's called neophobia, but it's so natural. It's the same thing that stops us kind of just randomly picking something up and shoving it in our mouth in the garden, although some babies do that. Um, and that's just, you know, oh, I don't like that because it's, it's a different colour and, and I've never seen things that look like that and it smells different. I'm not going to eat it. So there's an element of that. And so what tends to happen is that kids get used to the way a certain thing should look so, for example, fish, it's white, it comes in an oblong, it's covered in orange breadcrumbs, that's what a fish looks like. So if you try and give them, I don't know, a tuna steak, they're like, what is this, what is going on? So not at all interested. So it's getting narrower and narrower that way. And then they get bored. So I hear a lot of parents tell me, so for example, their kids loved peas and peas were the one green vegetable they'd eat. So they were putting them on the plate at every meal. Well, of course the kids are going to get bored of it. Wouldn't you get bored if you had uh, peas at every single meal? And then the last element, which is uh, every parent's favourite element, is that it's really fun to say no to your parents when you're a kid. 
So, you know, they've lovingly prepared a meal. <laughs> they put it in front of you, you go, um, and I don't like broccoli anymore. It's kind of fun. It's all about pushing boundaries, you know, and there are lots of different reasons psychologically, as I'm sure more expert people in the psychological side of things would tell you to why kids like a good session of saying no. Mm. So it's those three things. It's a fear of the new and then it's boredom with what they've got. And then it's just the fun of saying no. (laughs) I've got an interesting one now, because when you look at France, Spain, in particular, Italy, I get the impression that their, their diets are a lot more varied. You hear about this Mediterranean diet. To what extent do you think it's a cultural thing versus kind of, I guess, the combination of kids being being kids? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything. I would never say that it's the parents' fault um, because I know, and you know, parenting is hard. And the last thing we want is to pick up a book that tells us we're sort of our fault. <laughs> so there's no finger wagging in my book or on my blog because I just think that that doesn't help anyone. And, it, and I, you know, I go to bed with enough parent guilt without someone else telling me I'm doing it wrong. But culturally, yes. Um, and it's really interesting because you would think and you would hope that as a society, as we become more culturally varied, um, you'd, you'd think that our eating would become more varied. But in a lot of ways, it doesn't. Um, and there are all sorts of reasons for that in this country as a specific example. So, you know, we have things like poverty and often, you know, kind of filling things like lots of potato is cheap. You know, and if you're if you're going to do kind of a takeaway meal and, and, and one of your favourite burger joints when it's open does the 99p meal and you want to treat the kids, it's cheap. It's not very nutritious, but it's cheap. Um, there's not a lot of home economics, as it used to be called, education going on in schools. We also have um, families like my own where you've got both parents working or like I grew up with um, a single mum and she was working. So there's not in the kind of the 1950s style, there's not somebody at home kind of, you know, prancing around the kitchen going, I shall now cook us a lovely meal. Um, and so it's tough. Um, and and yet, particularly, I think, in the UK compared to other parts of Europe and the kind of Mediterranean diets, um, culturally, we can be not great about the variety of food that we eat. And, and, and I count myself in that when I'm busy, um, you know, it's harder to, to cook everything that I want to cook. And actually, when I was writing the book, one of the things that I started to do really early on, so probably a couple of years before it was kind of fully written, and I was just thinking about the concepts, is really keep an eye on what I was eating. So I'd long introduced the idea of always having vegetables on the plate for the kids and, you know, all of these kind of activities to get them involved with cooking and stuff. But what I realised that was on really heavy days when I had big deadlines and things, I put their food on the table and then I would be kind of eating bits and pieces and snacking on toast and God knows what else. Well, I was tidying the kitchen so I could kind of get back to work once they were in bed. And that's not setting a great example. So, <laughs> so you know, we're busy and it's hard. Um, and so that's kind of how the book became, rather than just being a cookbook, it's a whole load of activities because it's how do you as a family work together to build kind of more variety and more fruit and veg and more interesting food into your everyday lives and it worked for me and my kids so one of them is on the autism spectrum and one of them um, has kind of a recurring throat infection sort of thing that's complicated um so they're both kind of they have their own challenges so keeping it working for them it worked started to share it with friends and get them to test it But yeah, there's definitely some cultural challenges. And actually, when it was published, um, a friend um, who is Chinese retweeted it. And she said the Asian version of this would be much shorter. And um, various kind of um, various people from around the whole continent of Asia were just going, yeah, slap around the head and you eat what you're given. (laughs) 
But certainly, I think globally, as we become more busy, it's harder. You know, it's harder for somebody to be in charge of nutrition in the family. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think particularly, you know, as a lot of us are finding, you know, we've got this situation where we've got to homeschool and on top of that cook meals and I think just today I mean I'm I'm working but what I try and do is at every lunchtime spend some time with the kids and and I cook a meal and and it's quite disheartening when I spend um, quite a bit of time cooking something up um, with some veg Uh, the other day I cooked what I thought was a really nice curry uh, a vegetable curry yeah Um, then I get the kids picking out the um, green beans picking out the carrots (laughs) it's quite disheartening how do you go about sort of I guess to your point instilling kind of almost making it more than just a meal time making it a bit of a culture in your in in your family how do you go about doing that yeah so it's quite interesting because sometimes when people first open the book what they're expecting is um magic meals that you know you'll put in front of the child and they'll say my goodness mother this broccoli looks amazing I'm just out of the blue and obviously that's not gonna gonna happen actually if your kids are picking vegetables out of a curry but still eating the curry they're actually further along than a lot of the parents that I talk to um you know some children are just eating very particular foods separate on the plate and it's not disordered eating you know it's almost always not something that you would necessarily need to see a dietitian about it's just it's become habit for the kids um you know and lots of parents are literally standing there almost like waitresses going like and what will it be for sir it'll be this and for this you know for madam it will be this and it's already different so what i did with the book um is made it more than just recipes um instead it's a program so you've got all the common type of recipes that kids tend to like to eat so I did lots of surveys among my followers for this and I got thousands of replies so it's things like um, pizza some kids really like stir fry burgers featured heavily so the first section um, is the recipes are kind of like ones that that kids generally like to eat like uh, meatball pasta and pizza and burgers and fish fingers and smoothies but with a little bit of a twist on them so for example you make the fish fingers yourself and you get the kids involved with the making so the dipping in the egg and the breadcrumbs and you put some um curry powder of some kind um in the flour and the breadcrumbs so you've got a little bit of spice so the shape isn't going to be that uniform shape that they're used to when their fish fingers come out of the freezer they've been involved in making it themselves and it's got a tiny bit of spice going on so that's kind of the first phase and, and i call it putting the familiar at uh, the unfamiliar into the familiar um, but obviously, and it goes on like that. So the recipes get crazier and crazier to the end where you've got kind of strawberries and cream pasta, which is very, very nice, I promise. But as well as that, there are loads of activities to get kids interested and excited about food. So there are the kind of more obvious ones like, you know, you pick up some herbs in pots from the supermarket and, um, and you grow them yourself. So if you've got two kids, you know, one can be in charge of the basil and one's in charge of the coriander. It's their job to keep it watered, keep it alive. And if you, as the cooking parent, want to use some coriander in your cooking, then you have to ask permission. So you go to to child one and say, may I use some of your coriander? And they snip it off. And that kind of ownership can be really fun. And then you have things like designing plates and coming up with creative activities. There's a really fun one called um, Fridge Roulette, where you get anything that's kind of safely edible already. So you wouldn't want any raw meat, but any, you know, kind of your cheese and your yogurt and your cooked meats, whatever you've got in the fridge, you lay them all out and you try different combinations. 
So you can be as random about this. You can close your eyes and spin. You can dare each other. You know, will you try a bit of strawberry yogurt with a bit of salmon? Probably not going to be that nice. But it's really just about loosening kids and their parents up and having a much more relaxed experience around food and a positive experience around food instead of it being... You know, you know, when you have fussy kids, you know, and you feel that tension in your shoulders when you, before you've even started cooking dinner because yep. you know that it's going to go wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's all about breaking that down to the point where you're all excited about food. Um, it's very much a process. So the book is designed, if you wanted to do it at kind of full speed, it would take you 10 weeks. So there's five phases. There's a new recipe every day for each of those 10 weeks. So 70 recipes, lots of activities to do together. And by the end, you should be in a position, not where you then go back to the start and start making the recipes over and over again, but where you've almost become your own family of recipe creators and you're able to just fling open the fridge and say, right, we'll stick that with that, with a bit of that, cook it, serve it up, and the whole family eat it. And isn't that just the dream? <laughs> that is the dream. What, what feedback have you got in terms of the relative sort of success and how long, how long it kind of takes? Is it kind of, I guess it, I guess it varies family by family. It does vary. I think... There are some parents where the kids are kind of, they've bedded their heels down so determinedly and there's already been a history of kind of battles. So, you know, the battle lines are drawn and they are not ready to serve up anything unusual. So they are, they're literally just working through the activities. So they're kind of, you know, they're drawing out plates and they're learning about different food groups and they're going on treasure hunts in the supermarket for different vegetables which obviously we can't do right now but they're doing that kind of thing first so they're really working on the activities because you know their kids need to be eased into it really slowly and then there are other parents who um i have a friend uh, whose son is autistic and a very limited range of foods when i sent the book over and she looked at it with him and he got really excited by the the weirder recipes at the back um, he just thought they were so weird that they were awesome. So there's a pizza that you dye black. So it looks it looks like a burnt pizza. And he just thought that was awesome. Um, and there's strawberries and cream pasta. And he wanted to cook it straight away. I mean, he actually ended up jumping straight to the strangest recipes and responded immediately because he felt like the book was not for his mum. It was for him. And he was in control. And so he was like, yeah, let's go crazy. And so different things appeal to different kids. And you know, everyone learns differently. So some kids kind of progress quite slowly with their families and then they'll reach something like there's a there's a phase that's all about fun and it's got things like making a risotto that's bright red um, using beetroot. And I've had families say like this was the breakthrough moment where my kids were suddenly going through the fridge drawers going, okay, wh- what else can we do to make food look crazy? Oh my goodness, can we put peas in the pasta to make it green next? You know, they want to know what else they can do. So different things appeal to different families. But generally, I've had, I mean, it makes me cry almost, but I've had emails with pictures of kids kind of, you know, holding a strawberry or one of my recipes, you know, and just gushing emails from parents saying, you know, he ate this and it just makes me really happy. But yeah, it varies. Probably some people speed through, the average is about 10 weeks, or you might find you kind of dip, dip in and out over a long period. Brilliant. And um, you mentioned something earlier that I think is um, something that could actually sometimes get overlooked, and and that's 
this area that particularly now you've got um, families that kind of are furloughed, um, main breadwinner might be unemployed. And so it's a challenge to perhaps go and buy lots of different ingredients. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice for, for families who perhaps are, are in situations where, where money is, is a bit more of a struggle, but, but who still appreciate and understand that, you know, healthy eating or at least attempting healthy eating is something that they need to do for, for their children? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think for me, um, I would say invest where you can in your spice cupboard. So um, even if that's just one new bottle of the cheapest supermarket spice, um, you know, with, with each weekly shop or maybe once a month and try and build up your spice cabinet. So I grew up um, in with as my parents um, split up when I was two. They, my dad had quite a good job. He left the scene and my mum was left with uh, pregnant with three other children under nine. So she went from being reasonably well off to just, you know, four kids from baby to nine um, on her own. Um, and so we were very short on cash. And what I learned from my mum, thank you, mum, is that spices can make essentially the same meal a <laughs> hundred different ways. So you can curry it, you can make it chilly, you can make it kind of more on the sweet side, you can make it sour. Um, and so, you know, we ate essentially pasta a lot, but you know, made different ways, <laughs> lots of rice, lots of pasta, lots of lentils. Meat is expensive, so not much of that. Um, yeah, and, 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 and it was tricky. So when my mum eventually managed to get a job and go out to work, I think um, everybody helped cook, but I loved it. And I felt independent in the kitchen. I was like cooking for the family. So um, I learned how to use the spice cupboard. And so I think that's a really good place to start. And then, you know, I'm sure that people who are already struggling and who have struggled for a long time probably know that you have to do things like head to the supermarket towards the end of the day when they might have things out reduced. So for example, I love those big bags of pre-chopped vegetables that always end up in the reduced section and you can just chuck them. I mean, you can make anything with them, but you know, you only need some cheap tin tomatoes or even a can of soup, whack the vegetables in as well, spices in to actually make it taste good, cook it up, serve it with whatever you've got, pasta, rice, you know, whatever it will go with. And you have a meal there that's packed with veg, but obviously you've got to have your kids eat it. So it's all about... The book really is about making it easier for parents as much as it is about expanding kids' diets. Brilliant. And, and what would you say uh, are probably the, the biggest mistakes we as parents make? I, I know that I make a few um, in terms of sometimes trying to force my kids to eat, which doesn't go down too well. But yeah, what would you say the biggest, some of the biggest mistakes that parents make? Yeah, I think that, that there's a lot to be said for modelling. So just sitting at the table and just going, you know, to your partner or children, you know, isn't this lovely? And just eating your food and making no big deal out of it. And it is so hard not to respond when they're going, oh, it's got sweet corn in it. Why have you ruined my dinner? And it's very hard not to be like, you know what? I just cooked for an hour. And I'm not enjoying this lockdown any more than you are, but you can't do that. <laughs> so you got to kind of play it cool and not respond. And I think, you know, we all do that, particularly in this kind of situation where we're frustrated actually I read an article that said that we all have um a kind of threshold for frustration so a capacity of, of frustration that we can handle at any given time um and because we're all locked in and we don't know what's going to happen and so forth and you know probably unsettled in terms of finances and jobs and um, we're already almost maxed out in terms of our frustration threshold and that's why it takes 
so little in comparison to before all this happened to make us feel frustrated and irritable. And I think that's really helpful to know because it means that the next time, you know, your kids are kind of like, oh, I would have thought by now you'd know I'd like it creamy. Um, instead of going, you know what? <laughs> we can go, this is my frustration level. I can handle this. You know, and, and, and it is hard. And, you know, there are times when it comes to everything from schoolwork to, to, to cooking to everything where you have to go into another room and just go, <sighs> or, you know, call your mum or your friend and go, you know what? I've had enough today. But I think the biggest mistake is letting kids know that it's getting to us you know there are lots of ways that we can be very open emotionally with our kids but letting them know that they're winding us up about food I think is not the one um if you do food together if it's an adventure not a battleground it becomes so much easier so much more quickly and that was the real light bulb moment for me that actually you know move away from the kind of trying to hide vegetables and trick them or bribe them um, and instead let's work together let's actually get to the nub of this and change the way that we're thinking about food on a really basic level so that so that it's not a battle and we all feel positive about it but also so that you know when the kids are old enough to start cooking for themselves independently when they go up to uni or you know their first jobs and they move out they can actually cook for themselves and make decisions that will be naturally healthier because they're looking at a broader range of food choices. Yeah, no, very good. I think you've, you've actually almost answered answer my second, my, my next question, which was going to be, you know, <laughs> what's your approach if they just point blank refuse to eat? Um, and I think you made a few good points in terms of one, just trying to keep calm. If you need to step away, step away, yeah. but, but showing, showing no weakness, don't let them know that you've got, they've got to you. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, as well, I think, yeah, if they point blank refuse, you've got to be okay with it. So um, I always like to remind myself if, if it gets tough with this, and my kids are past this stage now, but um, remember that they've got five senses and that familiarity is such a win. So when they get used to seeing unfamiliar things all the time, it's almost familiar to see unfamiliar things. But on the way to that, you know, they're going to look at something and think it's slimy, it's weird, it smells strange, it's the wrong texture. Um, I, as a kid, was frightened of baked beans because they had a weird texture. I mean, actually frightened. If they got on the plate, I was like, oh, my God, it's a bean. Um, and I love beans now inside of my kids. But you've got to break that down. So, you know, okay, you don't want to eat the sweet corn. Fine. Can you pick one up in your fingers and just, just smell it for me? Just smell the, smell the piece of sweet corn. Um, can you squish it with your fingers so that the bit on the inside comes out? Do you want to just taste that bit that comes out on the inside? Can you squash the skin? Oh, just get them to interact with their food. Because even if they're not going to eat it, that's still going to break barriers down. And that's actually why I, I snuck a recipe into the book for um, fondue. So it's not kind of the like beery, very cheesy fondue that, that you'd usually have. Um, it's basically a cheese sauce, kind of, you know, bechamel, add some milk, um, add some cheese. But when you present this amazing cheese sauce, and most kids do love just white cheese sauce, um, you present it with all these different vegetables that can be dipped into it. And why I love that is if you really want a big blob of cheesy sauce, but the only way to get it is to stick a vegetable in it, then even kids who are really fussy and wouldn't bite a carrot stick will be willing to stick a carrot stick into some cheese sauce and lick the cheese sauce off. And so even if they don't actually eat the carrot, so you are going to waste a little bit of food because nobody wants to eat it once it's been licked by a toddler. Um, but once you, you know, they, they will taste the carrot a little bit and they will get used to the texture of raw carrot on their tongue and the feel of it. 
in their fingers. Um, and that's been really successful um, for lots of parents that I've spoken to. We've had kids eating things like asparagus and radishes and all sorts because the kids almost forget you know, once it's covered in cheese sauce, they're just kind of tossing it into their mouths. And they're like, actually, hang on, I just ate a radish. So things like that can, can be quite good. So just work with kids at their own pace. Make sure that there are things on the plate that they will eat because you do not want to be on that standoff where you're like, well, that's all you're getting. And then they won't eat it. And then you think, well, I can't send my kid to bed with no food. So now it's an empty threat. So, so make sure there's something on the plate that they will eat and some challenging elements as well, and just work on it over time. You know, and I kind of think of it similar to potty training or sleep training. You know when you first take off the side of their cot or change it into a bed, yeah. and you put them into bed, and then you go, oh, they're so sweet and lovely, and you go to your bed, and like three seconds later, they're in. And you do this a few times, and you go, you know what, just climb in, fine. <laughs> fine, I give up. Um, or, you know, with potty training, you're just like, you know what, you know, you should go back into a nappy. I can't do it. Um, and we all learn eventually that it's perseverance that pays off. So you do have to stand for a few wees on the carpet or the sofa. You do have to have a few nights of getting up and taking them back oh, to bed yes. 400 times. But eventually something clicks and it works. And it's kind of the same thing with fussy eating. If you're just constantly serving up something they will eat so that it's not a battleground and you know that they can be nourished but some of these more challenging elements on the plate every single day, over time, it becomes less of a big deal to you. It becomes less of a big deal to them. And eventually you'll look back and think, whoa, our diet has really changed. This is brilliant. This has given me a new lease of life, actually. Tomorrow <laughs> I'll be raring to go because as a given since lockdown, you know, we, we, we do a weekly menu and I'll be honest, a lot of the same things turn up again and again and again. Uh, and I can kind of see what you're saying about sort of, you know, um, the variety being something that they're used to. Uh, and so, you know, I'll take that away and definitely implement a few things. Um, this has been really, really good. I think one thing I always, always ask, and you've given loads of tips actually, but I always ask kind of what are the top three tips that you, you'd give to, to any parent, any guardian listening today? I know in your book you talk about sort of five steps, but yeah, what would be the t- your, your, your final tips to give to parents? Okay, I would say get your kids involved. Kind of, you know, if you're if it's the middle of the day and you're listening, get them involved right now. As soon as you finish listening, obviously, listen to the end. Um, whether that is helping you with a meal plan or um, organizing the fridge or just going on a really random food hunt around the house of, oh, I really, really need something green for this recipe I'm going to make tonight. Can you help me find something green if they're smaller or if they're older? Um, I really want to add some protein to this recipe um, because I, I've heard protein is more filling. So can you help me find some protein and let them go and research and let them take some ownership um, and see how it goes. Some kids are, are scarily good with food. You know, they actually, they know a lot more than you think, particularly the ones who, who like me, are kind of, <laughs> I've got master chef and things on all the time. It's all going in there somewhere. So yeah, give them some challenges and get them involved straight away. And the other thing is, big important tip for tackling for fussy eating as soon as you go away from this do not beat yourself up it just it doesn't help you know we let like I said right at the beginning we lay in bed oh did I spend enough time with the kids was I always looking at my phone oh I really should spend more time in the garden and did I do this and did I really did I seem negative when I was helping them with their maths have I now taught them to be negative about maths you know we're too hard on ourselves so great thing you can do to tackle fussy eating is do not beat yourself up just be accept that it's very very common and you'll be fine 
Um, and as a final thing, my very favourite out of the gate rule is start putting veg on every single plate. So even if you, even if they just ask for a sandwich for lunch, um, stick some cucumber and some peppers on. Just challenge yourself to put something on the plate every single time. Um, if you're grabbing them some cereal for breakfast, cereal's great. It's fortified with loads of vitamins. Do not beat yourself up about that either. Even if it's sugary, you're doing fine. Um, but you know, try and try and stick an apple on the table for them as well, or chop it up afterwards or before. Just start adding some extra little fruit and veg elements, so that even if you haven't got the book, even if you're not ready to kind of start in earnest, you're, you're doing something, and that's great. Brilliant, um, Emily. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Thank you. Before we leave, for anyone listening um, that wants to get in touch, wants to know more about you, uh, where can they find the book? You are always welcome to get in touch with me. Um, I, you, if you Google Emily Leary, I should come up in theory, unless anybody, any other Emily Leary starts sneaking onto the scene. Um, I am a mummy too, as in T-O-O, pretty much everywhere. So a amummy2.co.uk and a mummy2 on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I share lots and lots of recipes over on the blog and I am little bit of a social media addict so whenever you message me you will get a reply because i do love chatting um and in terms of the book it is available in bookshops but none of us are going to those at the moment so you can find it on amazon um search for my name emily leary or get your kids to eat anything and it should come up it's available in hardback or on kindle emily um thank you very much for your time thank you Jeez. i hope you enjoyed listening to that episode You can subscribe for free to get notifications whenever a new episode is released. And remember, reviews are always welcome as it helps new listeners find me.